Hello, everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. My name is Joe Lowry, and on today's show, myself and Jordan Angeli talk about players. Jordan and I each made up a short list of players who have impressed us this season. Maybe guys that we didn't expect to have such a strong start to 2021. Or maybe just guys that we like what they're doing within a grander tactical scheme. Either way, Jordan and I each made a list and we went back and forth and had fun talking about these guys. Now, without further ado, on to the show. Jordan, we made our lists who is the first player on your list of players that have impressed you this year that maybe we didn't expect quite so much? I this was this was interesting, right? Because you could go in so many directions and I overwhelmed myself at first and then I was like, <laughs> okay, just who cares? Just pick some <laughs> okay. players. And I went back to, you know, what you and I had talked about before the season. And one of the things we talked about is how is Seattle gonna play a three back? Yeah. And so my first player that I chose is new who. <laughs> Can you believe it? Jordan, I've been having some guilt, like some major built-up guilt, some pent-up guilt, <laughs> because I, I was watching the Seattle-Atlanta game last night and knew who was balling, especially in the first 15 minutes. And I don't I don't know, I think some of it dipped, but he was playing exceptionally well at the start of that game, dribbling out of the back, doing all sorts of great things that I'll let you talk about for new who generally. But I, I had that flashback moment to when you and I went on ETR and we were there with Weeby and Goss, and I made some sort of snide comment about Nuhu maybe not being able to transition to that spot and maybe not being conducive to playing good soccer. I was wrong, everybody. I was so wrong, and I'm repenting now in front of everyone. Yeah, and I hope Sam Stashkull is watching this, too, because he's going <laughs> to love that we're giving some Nuhu love. I have been very impressed with Nuhu because before this year, really, and and mind you, we are very early in the season. So there's a lot of time for things to happen. But Nuhu is, I, I mean, how would you describe him? Describe him. He's, um, he's got some quote-unquote energy. He's, he's a wild Emotional, child. wild. He's what? He's a wild child. He is a wild child. He has some wacky moments. And I think that what has impressed me is we haven't seen that in the sense of giving a ball away or being in a place or in a challenge that then gives the opposing team an opportunity to get forward and on goal. I've been very impressed with his ability to, um, and you mentioned this, this system helps Seattle put the players in the best pot, spot that they can be. And so Nuhu, I, I've liked his dribbling out of the back. I liked his aggressiveness of um, when a player checks in from the back line into the midfield, he'll go with them and get in a challenge and get in a tackle which I think suits him to get some of that energy out. He can recover. He's been recovering and covering space behind him really well. But mostly, he has been a player that hasn't made mistakes. And I think for me, in that spot in a three-back, which you know can transition at moments to looking like there's five at the back, but I think that there are challenges in this formation that you have to have more responsibility and it has really been beneficial to Nuhu in a lot of ways. It is. It, it really has been. And I, I think the reason why I was hesitant about Nuhu as a left-sided center back in a back three is because of that wild inclination he has. The overhead clearances right. at random times. And we've still seen, you, I think you explained this really well, we've still seen that in moments, but not in, not in moments that have cost Seattle. And, and even we've seen him execute those bits of flair where he is 
clearing a ball out acrobatically with a, an attacker right next to him, and he doesn't get whistled for an overhead kick or a high high boot or whatever it is. He's doing those things, but he's able to channel that energy into being a really productive center back, both with and without the ball. Because, yeah, what caught my eye and what always catches my eye first is what are these guys doing with the ball? And because right. Seattle have those three center backs now, they're able to rely on them, especially the outside center backs. But we even see this with Ariaga in the middle. They're able to rely on those center backs to advance the ball a little bit. Uh, Yaimar can, mm-hmm. can dribble forward. Ariaga can dribble forward. And Nuhu is certainly the most right. active dribbler of the three of them. He can beat you because he's a, he's a fullback at heart, right? He's this fullback wingback kind of player at heart. But he can beat you on the dribble from a deeper area, advance the ball, and then lay it off from there. And I think one of the benefits of having him in that spot is he's a little bit more central. So when he does dribble forward, he has more options to pick out from to his left, to his right and forward. And instead of being solely on the outside where you really just have options to say your right hand side, if you're playing on the left, this gives him more options to feed off of when he's on one of those dribbles forward. So I do think it really sets him up well. And I've been impressed. Yeah, no, as have I. He's been a big part of of Seattle success this season. Sure, they drop a couple points to Atlanta on Sunday night, but or Sunday afternoon rather, but they've looked excellent and knew who has been a huge mm-hmm. part of it. I think he started every single game for them as their yes, left sided yeah. center back. Credit to Brian Schmetzer. He can clearly see and he's worked with Nuhu almost every day for yeah. the last several years. He can see this guy's skills and figure out the best spot to use him. That's been the the major overarching theme for the Sounders this year. And I think Nuhu might embody it better than any other player. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, let's move on. Who do you have first, Joe? Yeah, we could talk about Nuhu and the Sounders all day, but we won't. I'm going to stick in the Western Conference. This is kind of cheating, but I've got two RSL players. I want to start with Rubio Rubin. Striker coming up from San Diego Loyal and USL with the crazy career that he's had playing in Europe, playing in Liga Mekis, and now over the last couple years making his way back to the U.S. Jordan, he's got four goals and two assists so far in about 400 minutes, which is Really impressive. He's one of the top goal-scoring players in the entire league. Chicharito has seven goals for context to kind of give you the, the a little bit of the landscape there. But I went a little bit deeper and looked at some of the expected numbers. So is he getting in goal, good goal-scoring spots? Is he creating good goal-scoring chances for others? He's fourth in the entire league this year in terms of non-penalty, so taking out penalty kicks. He's fourth in terms of expected goals plus expected assists per 90 minutes for RSL, who don't wow. always have a ton of the ball. So he's doing that in right. fairly limited opportunities. I was I was surprised by that number, but after watching him play almost every game this year, I'm not totally surprised. He's been really, really good for Freddy Juarez. What do you think that allows him, the way, well, the way that they play RSL, what allows Rubin to be in those situations, or is it just his awareness and his ability to find the pockets of space that then are effective? Well, I think it's his awareness and ability to move off the ball. There's still room to refine his off-ball movement in the box, I think. But RSL are trying to play with the ball, even though they don't always have a ton of it. Like against Dallas this past weekend, they didn't control possession. But they're trying to play this pretty expansive 4-2-3-1 with Krylak as the 10 of sorts, but he's a, he's a weird player as well. So it's very fluid. Rusnak floating inside and, and Pablo Ruiz, who's a guy I want to talk about in just a minute, playing a little deeper and spraying passes. Juarez is trying to get this group to play with the ball and to move as a unit forward. 
And I think Rubin's a good player for a system like that because he has some quality on the ball to drop in, lay the ball off, and then get forward. Or he can even pick out a pass. And then as RSL advance higher up the field, he can find little bits of space, turn, and fire off a shot in the box. He scored one just like that on the left side, spinning past Matt Hedges this past weekend. He's he's able to execute in small margins, and yeah, he is overperforming some of his his underlying stats right now. So his production probably will come back to earth slightly, but still, he's been hugely productive at the top of RSL shape at a spot that RSL desperately needed someone. They've needed someone. They've needed a nine for years now. Yeah, and and it looks like USL might have been the place to go look for one. Well, anybody that scores the goal of the year that early in season. <laughs> um, has to be on the list. (laughs) Joe, if there is a goal that is better than the goal that we saw from him with the chest to the bike this year, then we are in for it because that was one of the most spectacular goals I've ever seen. That goal was ridiculous. Jordan, MLS on the whole, I don't know if you remember way back in week one, in the first game, uh, I think Marie, Paul Marie for the Earthquakes had this banger from way outside the box. There was another goal. Oh, Jao Paulo. That's what it was for the Sounders against Minnesota United. This ridiculous goal. And then you have Lucas Zellerian's free kick party for the crew against NYCFC. There are, there are some real bangers this year, Jordan. There are, but I'm telling you that one (laughs) is still, I, I feel like that one is goal of the year just to execute that. And I think there is a little bit of, um, you know, greenness to him. And maybe one of the reasons that we've been attracted to him and his style of play is because we don't know a lot about him. And sure. and I think one of my players that I'm going to talk about too is a new player to the league. And so you get excited when you see new players in the league because you really never seen him play before at this extent and they catch your eye and you want to know more. And I think that that's one of the things that we're saying is watch these players because you're going to want to know more about yeah. how they progress through the season. Yeah, I I generally like Rubin's numbers. I love his story. I mean, everybody loves his story. It's crazy. And I like the fact that he and Tyler Pasher, maybe to a slightly lesser extent because he's been out injured for Houston the last couple of weeks. But I like that these guys mm-hmm. are helping validate that USL to MLS pipeline because there's talent in USL and seeing coaches go out there, look for it and give it a chance. That's that's pretty encouraging. Quickly, quick mention for me before I flip it back to you, Jordan, for Pablo Pablo Ruiz, excuse me. Five foot seven, this left footed number six, so clean on the ball for RSL, doesn't get as many touches as he would if he was playing for LAFC or even a team like Seattle, probably. But he's been with RSL for a couple years, but really broken out this season. He he's really fun to watch on the ball. Doesn't lose it a lot. Gets down and dirty defensively. He's been a big part of RSL's general style of play this year, and I've really enjoyed watching him. Do we call him honorable mention? Honorable mention, sure, yeah. I, for no real or reason. Is he in there? I mean, I, he can be in there. Can, yeah, it doesn't matter to me. If you're going to watch RSL, you might as well watch them both. <laughs> right. Good point. Good point. I like that. Okay. <laughs> All right, Jordan, bring us forward. Um. Okay, well, we talked a couple on the West Coast, so I'm going to go East Coast and go with um, one of the, the top scores already. You mentioned the numbers for Rubio Rubine, but Tati Castellanos has four goals on the season as well, and he was re- on a real hot streak there in the, in the first few games, setting um, nearly a, a record for scoring in the first five games. He has been impressive to me. And one of the reasons why I feel like Castellanos has been impressive is because Ronnie Dyla is playing this 3-4-3, a 3-4-2-1 formation. And the implementation of this, I think, brings out the best for Tati Castellanos. And one of the reasons that I think this, and I'm going to throw it to you after I say this, Joe, is I've, I've mentioned this before, is when you have a 
center forward. So he's playing at this nine position, which I don't think is his natural position. I think he likes to play on the wing a little bit more. He's not a natural goal scorer. He's not, he's not like a Rui Diaz who's just going to, you know, if, if Rui Diaz had the amount of chances that Castellanos has had, <laughs> he, he would have 10 goals. Um, but what I like is in this formation, the defensive work that Castellanos puts in, and I've mentioned this before, I think if you're a nine and you work hard defensively and, and they defend almost with a two front in Castellanos and then Medina steps up as well, the defensive work where they push to, um, typically push to the wings, it sets Castellanos up in this in between, where he's in between the lines, not only vertically of the opposing team, but horizontally as well. So when New York City breaks out, then he gets the ball and is running at pace at the back line, which he likes to do. So I do think that offensively, I like what he's doing, but I've been impressed with his defensive work and his ability to use his defensive positioning to spring forward into an attacking spot. That's really interesting. I haven't noticed that. I'm going to be watching for that over the coming weeks, because NYCFC right now really, really fascinate me because they've they've changed shape already once or twice this season. They started with a four mm-hmm. at the back. Now James Sands is playing as a center center back, but really it's not all that different because he can still step forward and play as right. a six. And cert- it's very fluid in the front part of NYCFC's shape, whether they're in that nominal four at the back or the nominal three or five at the back. It's so fluid. Sometimes we see uh, Tajiri Shradi step forward. Other times it's Medina stepping forward. Earlier on in the year it was Andres Jason stepping forward. And and Castellanos has kind of been the constant throughout that change. Playing in a role that I agree, Jordan, may not be his natural role. I'm not sure if his best spots as a nine or as a second forward or as a winger. I don't know the answer to that question. And I'm not sure we'll find out this year because, I mean, he's been balling as that number nine. So I don't know that that's going <laughs> right. to change. But... It's been fascinating to watch him continue to evolve. The outfield, uh, they cover NYCFC, have done some really good videos talking about Castellanos' hold-up play and how that's improved. And maybe an attribute of his game that wasn't there before when we were watching him. And and now we see him drop a little bit deeper and maybe look more like a complete number nine. He He brings and he has brought the creativity and attacking prowess that NYCFC have needed someone to bring without Maxi Morales. Because they've been playing without yeah. that number 10 for a large part of this entire season. And and they wouldn't be where they are right now. Not at the top of the East, but they wouldn't even really be floating in the East, I don't think, without that production from Castellanos. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the fluidity of New York City going forward. And the the switching of the lines, I think, is really something that allows Castellanos to be in his best spot coming into the box as a... a typically a later runner because what happens is he holds up the ball. He tends to lay it off or find an outlet in one of the wing backs. And at that same time, it's the two players playing underneath him in this four, three, two, one who are going beyond the ball. So it's Medina going beyond the ball. It's Tajiri Shradi going beyond the ball. So Castellanos then has runners in front of him. So then when he's coming into the box, it's, timing of the run it's coming in on a um he's not just doing those little short runs like we see from Azardas or Rui Diaz it's a little bit more of a lengthy run and I think it allows him to time it better and they can pick out his run um a little bit more effectively so um yeah it's I think they're a fun team to watch and he has really um it doesn't surprise me that City had just locked him down for the long term because there's potential here for, hey, if he wants to be a city player for a while, but there's potential here. He continues at this rate, and then see you later. He gets sold somewhere else. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I think Castellanos and Atuesta are, are two of the the players that really just shouldn't be around much longer. I think I can't remember if this happened yeah. or if it was reported to be happening, but Atuesta potentially signing a new contract with LAFC. I think it happened to get I him locked happened. up and yeah, then and then provide that option to sell him and have a bit more leverage for the clubs in MLS. Yeah, these right. guys are are big time players. Jordan, my next guy, a little bit a little bit less heralded than Tati Castellanos, certainly than Atuesta. It's Leon Flock for the Philadelphia Union, a player who I think, I don't know if you called any of his games in CCL, but someone who played mm-hmm. in CCL, someone that you've gotten a chance to watch and I have as well this season. He, the thing that stands out to me about Flock the most is he's got wheels, Jordan. He has got to yeah. be one of the fastest players in Major League Soccer. He covers so much ground for the Union, which is just generally a team that wants to cover ground. He's, he's awesome to yeah. watch. He really fits the profile, and that's funny that you bring him in. We didn't know each other's lists, by the way. Is he on yours? Um, we came into this blind, but he is not on mine. But when I was watching the game last night, I was in this in-between. I'm like, do I use him or do I not <laughs> use him? Should I, do, do I put him on my list? So he maybe that means he's on honorable mention on my sure, list as well. For because sure. I do feel like he does fit in this system really well. Um, and I think we're just seeing a glimpse at what he can become in – Jim Curtin's use of that four four two diamond. Leon Flack has essentially just come in and stuffed Anthony Fontana on the bench in a bit of a roundabout way. But this was supposed to be the year for Anthony Fontana, right? It was supposed to be the year for Fontana last year, right? before Brendan Aronson broke out and, and became that starting 10. Then Aronson gets sold to Salzburg, and it's okay. It's, it's Fontana time now. It's, it's not, though, and it hasn't been because Leon Flack has come in and either played as the six, when Jose Martinez is out suspended, which you can always bank on a couple of times a season, or just having Martinez at the six, uh, Flock at the left-sided number eight spot in the diamond, and then pushing Montero up to that number 10, which I think is the best midfield with Bedoya on the right. That's the best four-man midfield that Jim Curtin can generate, and it doesn't involve mm-hmm. Anthony Fontana right now. Maybe the, the new player they signed from Hungary will factor in there somewhere. I don't know. But Flack has come in from Germany, a, a dual-national German-American. He's come in from Germany and just taken a spot from a player that the Union know and like. They they know Fontana. They know his game. They like his game, and they believe in him as a player. But Flack's just been too good. Jordan, I looked at the stats. Among central midfielders in MLS, Leon Flack is in the 99th percentile for pressures, for tackles, and for interceptions. That is a Jim Curtin, Jim, Jim Curtin excuse me, diamond Philadelphia Union midfielder if I've mm-hmm. ever seen one. Yeah. Yeah, because all you want to do in that system is win the ball back high, have numbers together and united so you can play in a tight space and then get at goal. I, I think that is really good numbers to support exactly what you're saying, how he, you know, when you're talking about players coming in and contributing right away, well, you have to make sure they fit the system. And this seems like it's um, a big green check mark. Yeah, it's. The, the union are so good at this kind of stuff, and I want to give them credit for that because so many teams in MLS just aren't good at player recruitment. We're seeing it over it's and over hard. again around the league. It's so hard, but the union make it look easy with guys like Leon Flock. He can still improve, especially with the ball, and that's something that I think I'll be watching for now that we have a better idea of what he can do without the ball. Against D.C. yesterday on Sunday as we're recording on Monday, he had some turnovers with the ball. The ball stuck to his foot a little bit too much. Yeah. And I think that stuff will improve, and I, I'm going to watch to see if it does over the course of this season. Yeah, I think his def- his not high-pressure defense, but his defensive positioning deeper on the field and his, like, he might need a little more grit. I think that's why I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if he's, like, 
He's a scrawny little guy. <laughs> Sorry, he is. He He's can hit the weights with Sergio like he Santos. He needs to get like, ah. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I can see it. I, my last thought on Flack, I agree. He could hit the, he could hit the gym. Uh, not the treadmill, though. He's got that part down. My last thought yeah, on him that. is uh, maybe a future U.S. men's national team left back. I know he doesn't play as a left back right now, mm. but I think he has a skill set for it. We could see him in the Gold Cup as a midfielder, but I, I think he might have a higher ceiling from a national team perspective as an outside back. So that's all I'm going to yeah. say. Also, can we shout out uh, Soccer Rabbi for a great article on Sam Vines, uh, Sam Vines and yeah. his left back work. Yeah, Sam so Vines, Sam Vines does awesome there. stuff. That's true. That's yeah. You're so right, Jordan. There's talent here, folks. There is talent. <laughs> hey, but hey, there's competition at left back? <laughs> what? It's been a while. Let's go. It's been, a, it's been an eternity, actually. <laughs> Uh, speaking of left back, I'm going to go to a left back next. Hey-o. Nice. Good transition. Yeah, that was perfect. I didn't <laughs> even plan that. Um, I'm going to Austin FC. Jean Kalmanich. Yeah. That's who I'm going to talk about. That's such an under... This is perfect. This is the perfect player for this episode and what we wanted it to be. Please continue. Oh my gosh, Joe. The first time I saw him play, he came in as a substitute late in the LAFC. Yep, yep. Correct? The first, first game. game of the season. And I think I texted I texted you or my friend who works for Austin, and I was like, this guy's good. He needs to play more. He changed the game in that first game of the season. And um, unfortunately, due to a, a Ben Sweat injury, and I hope he's doing well with his rehab from his ACL um, in the early stages right now, um, he's now played and started the remainder of the games since that second game injury. And I'm not sure if that could have been the plan all along, this is a good left back. And the reason that I say it, there's a couple a couple things. In defense, I feel like he is very comfortable in 1v1 situations. There was um, one last night against Nashville where he's standing up a player. Um, I think it was Alex Mule. And he just held, holds his ground, pokes the ball away, wins it, and then they're in transition. It was really good 1v1 defense. And in, to be a left back in this league, you you need to be really good at 1v1 defense because there's a lot of power on the right side of attacks here in MLS. So um, that's my my first thing. I feel like he's in pretty um, typically pretty good defensive positionings, but he gets forward. And the thing that has impressed me the most about his play is his ability to read the players in front of him, who is typically Pochettino and Dominguez. And when he reads their play, he just adapts by taking an internal position or an external position. So if Dominguez is really far wide and he wants to occupy the space in the channel, he comes inside and he can play make inside, almost like an additional center midfielder. Or there's times where Dominguez cuts in and that they're trying to break the seam of um, the midfield line. And there goes Kalmanich around the edge trying to break through into the, the back line and beyond the defensive back line. So this is a thing that also stood out to me. Joe, he has two offsides. You have an outside back who's so high in the attack yeah. that he's getting himself offside. I think that's a good look for Austin and the way that they want to play and their combinations on the on the, the wing not to mention, I haven't even talked about his ability to whip in a ball yeah. with his left foot. And if they get a number nine who can score goals, oh my gosh. Yeah, it, it's Gressel-like in terms of how he can hit the ball with with his left foot instead of his right foot. But yeah, he can he can bend it in there. Yeah. And it dips at the right time where it can get over the first defender and dip in. It, my eyes, like, 
just opened wide the first time I saw that. And it is an incredible talent. Um, and I think it's going to be something to watch going forward because he's an exciting young left back. Well, And we've talked about this before. We talked about it last season. How in Major League Soccer, there's just this difference. You turn on an average MLS game versus you turn on a, a Bundesliga game or a Premier League game or a La Liga game. There's going to be a difference in just how the players strike the ball and how they bend crosses into the box. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's just a quality difference. It's the difference in the, the level of player playing in MLS. And it's a very specific skill, yeah, to, to highlight and to pinpoint. But we see players like Gressel and like Kolmanich bend balls into the box. And it's, it's encouraging because that's, a, that's an important piece of teams that want to provide service to their number nine. I think Kolmanich is one of the best examples of high-level crossing players in MLS. Yeah. Jordan, I'll say this. Austin right now, not a very good team, right? They're really struggling. Mm-hmm. They struggle to defend. They struggle to attack, even with the building blocks that Josh Wolf has clearly emphasized in preseason. But boy, do they have pieces, right? They have a player like Kolmanich, who they got from Slovenia, from the Slovenian Professional mm-hmm. League. He's 21 years old, a player that I, I'm guessing most folks had never heard of before, myself included. And and he's come in and shown promise. You have Cecilio Dominguez, who I think partners with him so well on that left side, as you mentioned. Then you have guys like Jared Stroud, who we'll call him an honorable mention. I think he's been really exciting this yes. season for Austin, starting games over their first ever signing, Rodney Redes. He's he's essentially become the starting right winger, even though he didn't start against uh, against Nashville yesterday. But they have par- parts here, Pochettino as well. But because they're struggling so much, I think because they're so rattled right now, we're not really seeing those parts come together to actually create many chances. If or when that switch gets flipped, I think Kolmanich is going to become an even bigger name than just you and I mentioning him on a podcast because he clearly yeah. is a very talented player. Yeah, he's really good. He's If you guys could see my eyes, like every time <laughs> I talk about him, my eyes are like, I think he's really good. Yeah, so. I, don't, I don't disagree. He's All a right. promising youngster. Last one? Last one. Jordan, I'm going to Orlando City, a player that is not new to MLS, but a player that is loved in MLS, at least by me. Uh, and it's Sebas Mendes, central midfielder for Ooh. Oscar Pereja. There are a number of different players that could have been brought up here, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm going with Mendes. He's not a new commodity. This is his third season, but I think he's been excellent this year. He's fast. He covers so much ground, not Leon Flack levels of ground. Let's not you know, let's not get carried away here. But he does, he does some great off-ball work defensively, then on the ball. He's this team's metronome in a way that I guess I didn't realize last year. He is constantly picking up the ball and either combining with Junior Urso or driving the ball forward on the dribble or spraying diagonals out of midfield with his right foot. I mean, he is this all-action number six. He's playing as a number six, but I think he can do it all in midfield. Probably not a 10, but he can step forward. He can do whatever in midfield. But honestly, Jordan, what I love about Mendez's game the most isn't really anything he's doing, but more... More looking at him within the framework of how Oscar Pereja actually sets up this team, because I think Mendez has one of the okay. most pivotal roles in that group. Okay, well, keep explaining, because that, <laughs> that's interesting to me. And Jordan said, say more, and I, I will. It's, yeah. it's Mendez. <laughs> I, I, actually, let's zoom out first. Orlando City defend most of the time in a 4-4-2 or a 4-4-1-1. That's their basic defensive shape. In possession, though, it doesn't look anything like that. They use their left back 
as this stay-at-home center back most often. And it's been a couple of different players this year. When everyone's fully healthy, it's supposed to be John Moutinho, right? Uh, they got him from LAFC a couple years back. He's this left-back right. center back hybrid. So they'll attack isolating Nani on the left wing almost as a, a left wing back, but he can just do whatever mm-hmm. he wants. And it, it turns into this 3-4-3 three, three of sorts, right? With yeah. Uh, with Juan as the right wing back and Nani on the left, and then Chris Mueller and Pereira flanking the number nine, which is most often Tesho right now. So you've got that back three that changes from the back four. This year, they've added another wrinkle, or maybe I just missed it last year, but I'm certainly noticing a lot more now. And it's adding another player into that back line to extend it even further and allow more fluidity on the wings. They add in Mendez into that left center back spot, push the left back then into the left wing spot or the the left wing back spot, and then push the left winger inside. And if you're Nani, you kind of like that in specific moments because you can isolate inside. Or if Mendez doesn't drop in and pick up the ball, then the left back can stay home in the back three. Then you have space out wide to isolate. So it's this really fluid structure that all, at least if you look at it through Mendez colored glasses, all flows through Sebas Mendez's movement for Orlando City. He he does everything. He he is the metronome for this team. He starts some of the rotations. He pushes players into different spaces. I've really enjoyed watching him. Even with an Orlando team that that isn't operating uh, at its full potential right now, there's time for mm-hmm. that to happen. And when it does, I think it's going to be at least in large part because of Sebas Mendez. Isn't it cool when you recognize those patterns and you see it all and it's almost like it's this gear that's like yeah, just, yeah. just cranking. So yeah. Mendez drops and everybody else like kind of like <laughs> flutters into their spot. I love recognizing those patterns. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're on this podcast is yes. <laughs> because we just geek out on those things. But that is going to be something that I watch going forward with Orlando City. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned him because there's a lot of players that you can mention on that team. And... Um, you know, I, I, I was looking and trying to figure out, okay, who are the players that do a lot for their teams and maybe don't get a lot of the recognition? And they typically be, are these players centrally who can do it all, who are six eights, who do the, you know, they are the metronomes. Yeah. And it was, if with, if they don't have them, then they're completely different teams. And I think Mendez is a good one to, to highlight there for City. Yeah. There, there City are guys. so many, so many guys. Antonio Carlos, a player I know we both enjoy. Kyle Smith deputizing mm-hmm. at left back, even though I think he's more of a right back. He's played that that left-sided center back, left back role. A Schlegel as well played it most recently against Toronto FC. There's been there's been a lot of changes necessitated by injury, but it's it's worked out for Oscar Pereira so far. I mean, they're not dominating in the East, but they're sitting at second right now with a game in hand behind the Revolution. So yeah. you could certainly right. ask. Well, you you couldn't really ask for a whole lot more six games into the season. Right. So. Yep. Love it. Well, that was fun. That was fun. I enjoyed it. We should do this again at some point, maybe a couple more months okay. into the season, talk about yeah. some different players who we didn't expect. There are new signings already coming in that could be on this list down the line. Jordan, until mm-hmm. then, thank you for joining me, as always, and yeah. talking soccer. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Thank you guys for listening, too. It's always fun to hear your comments on Twitter, on social. So um, thanks for being a part of this. We appreciate you all, and we'll be back again soon. Mm-hmm.